Father's Day to all you great fathers. I just want to, I was uh, chatting with my dad in text today, and I just really, uh, you know, my, my mom passed away a year ago, July 1st, and so I no longer have the opportunity to see her or to hear her voice or to be with her, but I still have my dad, and what a privilege that is. To, to have my dad and constantly encouraging me, praying for me every day. And uh, I told him today, I said, thank you. Actually, it was last night. I said, thank you, Dad, for raising me in the way I should go. You didn't raise me how I wanted to go. You raised me how I should go. And I want to thank you for that. And so, dads, I just want to encourage you. Keep doing that should on your children and loving them. My dad still fathers me to this day. And, um, of course, Julie's my boss, but my dad is still my dad. <laughs> Amen. Well, we are in a little series entitled The Wind of Change. And uh, I want to continue that idea. I felt like the Lord whispered these words into my heart and you know the the idea or the concept of the wind of change refers that that phrase refers to anything people use it in reference to anything that has the force or the power to change things like you know when uh, we had the train that brought a wind of change and then from the train we went to the automobile that brought a wind of change from the automobile we went to the airplane then we went to the rocket your personal computer which we have a love-hate relationship with was a wind of change but we're talking about the wind of change in the sense of the mighty the sound of the mighty rushing wind from heaven we're talking about the wind of change that comes by way of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And last week we talked about wind power. And we dealt with the power of the Holy Spirit available to every single one of us. How many of you know we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Jesus said, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power first manifests itself in wind, the, the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. And the way I would like to think of it is every night I turn on my fan and my elect, electrical power turns on my fan and creates wind. But what we're talking about is the wind of the Holy Spirit that turns the turbine of my soul and creates electricity. So what God wants to do by his Holy Spirit is begin to blow in our lives, which generates his power in the earth today. And so that's, that's kind of where we were last week. And today, I want to go, I want to go a, a step further, and I want to talk about the winds of revival, or revival winds. And I think we need a second wind in, in our church here at Abundant Life. And so I want to talk to us as a church, and, and I want to talk about this idea, and I have it written down right here, Caitlin, in my notes. God can do it again. That's in my notes. 
and she was up here already taken over in a good way, in a powerful way. But I really believe God wants to do it again. Do you believe that? God wants to give us a second wind, as it were. He wants to revive us. And so I, I want to talk to Abundant Life. I know people are watching online, and if you're part of the fellowship, we miss you. Get back here as soon as you can. But I want to talk to our fellowship, whether you're online watching or in this house today, about a revival. I want to talk about what that looks like. In Acts chapter 4, verses 31 through 35, let's look there in the scriptures. And it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Everybody say shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Would you say that with me? And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. We see in this passage, this is the second great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. This was the second wind. These were revival winds that were blowing, that did a renewing work in the church, and consequently through the church. And so I want to talk about that revival power. I think God wants to do it again. And so let's just uh, posture our hearts to uh, receive his word. Would you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for your presence here already today. And God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give me the grace. Your word says that great grace was upon them all. Lord, I pray that this would be true of every one of us in this room right now. God, that today, that there would be a holy shakeup in our church. God, would you do it again? Lord, would you please do it again? Do it again in me. Do it again in our staff, all of our, all of our family, everyone represented here. I pray, God, that you would revive us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we left off with Acts chapter 2. The last verse of Acts chapter 2 says these words, Praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't it have been nice if that's the way it ended? (laughs) Praising God, having favor with all people, the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. But you know, that's not where it ended. What happened was chapters 3 and 4 happened. And on the face of it, something wonderful took place. A man who had been crippled all of his life was miraculously healed because Peter and John, with great faith and with great anointing, walked past his way, saw him in his condition, brought Jesus to bear upon his life, he got up off of, out of his crippled position and leaped and ran around. And this, what happened was this drew a crowd. 
because this man was just crazy out of his mind with joy. And Peter and John saw this as a great opportunity to preach Jesus. And so they preached Jesus, and thousands of people got saved, which upset the religious order of the day. And so those guys took Peter and John and had them thrown in prison and kind of put them through a kangaroo court of, so, of sorts. And basically, uh, they ridiculed them publicly. They told them that they couldn't speak the name of Jesus anymore. They tried to censure them. And then they threatened them with more persecution in case they thought that they should go out and preach Jesus anymore. And so God was good. God did a great thing, but bad things began to happen. And it was in the face of this that we saw and read what we did. Now, recently, we've heard right here out of our own church that there are difficult days ahead that we're going to have to endure. I I did a three-part series entitled The Tea in the Road, talking about the testings and the trials and the troubles and the tribulations and the temptations we're all going to face. Daniel, a few weeks ago, preached a message, and at the end of it, I remember him saying, in so many words, things are probably going to get worse before they get better. If you remember that. Can I get a witness out there? Then Isaac came along, and he felt impressed, and I know for several weeks it had been in his spirit that he was going to preach about enduring, that God was wanting to give us a word about the power to endure. And so the Lord, I believe, has graciously awakened us to the troubling times ahead, but not for the purpose that we would cower in fear or compromise our commitment to what Jesus has called us to. The Lord has told us He has shared with us, like he did a prophet in the book of Acts, talking about a great famine that was to come. That's in the book of Acts. That's in the Bible. God inspired a man to tell them there is a great famine coming to the land. But it was never for the church to back down or to hide away or to, you know, pull away from their commitment to the commission of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. The church today never should move backward. We should always go forward. That's how the church operates in these difficult and, I would even say, dangerous days. They are dark days. They are difficult days. But there may be even an element of danger to it for you and I. But God will give us this message and God will prepare us for this. Not to cause us to be afraid, because Jesus told Peter and John, he told the church, you're going to encounter tribulation and persecution. And that's what they experienced in Acts chapter 3 and 4. Acts chapter 2 ends with, everybody's having fun. People are being added to the church. Everybody loves Jesus. But in chapters 3 and 4, on a good thing that God did, bad things begin to happen. And what did they do? They pressed on. And I want to say to every one of us here today, when the winds of adversity blow, and don't you know they blow, (laughs) we are led, we are driven, we are guided by a different wind. 
And that wind of the Holy Spirit is what we need. We need revival winds to blow, not so that we can survive the times, but that we could thrive in the times that we live. Amen? When I was growing up in the 70s, that was a long time ago, we used to sing a song. This, this little course came on the heels of the Pentecostal charismatic renewal. The wind is blowing again. The wind is blowing again. Just like the day of Pentecost, the wind is blowing again. And I really believe that God wants to do it again. Amen? So I want to talk to you today. I want to kind of outline the marks of a Holy Spirit or the characteristics of a Holy Spirit revival, a holy shakeup. How many are looking forward to, how many of you know we need to be shaken up around these parts? Amen? So I want to talk about, there are five marks of a Holy Spirit revival that I want to talk about. The first one is this, the first characteristic or mark of a shakeup of the Holy Spirit is that we need to be motivated by passionate prayer. Passionate prayer. This is what we started with. It says in chapter 4, verse 31, that when they had prayed, the place that they were at was shaken. And what happened was, Peter and John, as I said, were taken captive because they had preached the name of Jesus, that Jesus was the reason why this man was restored, And now several thousand people had turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, which means they were turning away from the present order of things. And this was upsetting their apple cart. And so they threatened them, threw them in prison. And the next day they released them. And what did they do? The Bible says they went running back to their companions, their friends, their family, the church. And when they got together and reported the things that happened to them, the Bible says they prayed. And when they prayed, God moved in power upon them. He shook things up because they knew where to go when the going got tough. They knew how to deal with the present crisis of things. They knew that calling your senator wasn't going to change the course of things. They knew that holding a rally wasn't necessarily going to change things. They knew that the real power of the church was to be a people of prayer. Amen. Our real power is in the primitive act of prayer. We've got to get back to our roots, and our roots is prayer. Where we call upon the name of God, we believe what Psalms 34, verse 17 says. Let's look at it together. Psalms 34, it says, the righteous cry out. Read this out loud with me. In fact, read it as loud as I'm reading it, okay? The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Katie, the Lord hears. The Lord hears. We got to get back to that kind of faith. God doesn't pay attention to Fox News. He's not hearing 
those people. He's hearing his righteous people. He pays attention to the people of God, those who call on the name of the Lord. We've got to get back to that. That's the answer to renewal and revival and to maintain the momentum of God's move in our life is to get back to the primitive purpose of the church. And that is prayer. Praise God. Amen. Now I know some of the things I'm going to be talking about today, you heard it last week, but we're going to drill down on some of these ideas because we need to get to the source. We need to get back to what really matters in the kingdom of God today. And so we need to, like these early church, we need to prioritize prayer in our lives. I love that. They went running back to the church. And what did they do? They prayed. They didn't petition. As I said already, they didn't phone their senator. They called upon the name of the Lord. And prayer should be, it should never be an afterthought in our life, church. It should be a forethought. It should be planned in. In our personal lives, every day of our lives, we know that when we wake up, whatever time of day that is, we seek God. And we cry out to God and we pursue the presence of God. And as a church, we know that our existence is based upon the power of prayer. And what we need to be praying for is more power. Everybody say more power. What we need is more power, they said in verses 29 and 30. Grant us all boldness to speak your word. They're trying to shut us down. That's what they were saying. Lord, they're trying to shut us down from preaching the truth. So give us more power to preach more truth. Because we're not going to be intimidated by the times or by what people say. God, you got to give us power because we don't have it. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so I can't do this in my own strength. And so we need to get desperate for a power move of God to combat the threats. Leonard Ravenhill, a great revivalist of years ago, said these words, the church is dying on its feet because it's not living on its knees. And I do think that there's a lot of truth in that. The reason where we lose our power force in the earth today is because we neglect that very important thing about prayer. Now, I don't know when it's going to happen, but one of our, probably our primary prayer leader around here is Rachel with Persistent Prayer. And we talked last week about doing 10 days where 10 nights in a row or 10 days in a row, just like the disciples did that we meet together and we just press into the presence of God and pray and she's put me on notice that we're gonna do it praise God and so I'm I'm just here to say yeah you okay tell me when to be there and uh, we're gonna do that by the grace of God so church let's be a praying church amen can I get a good amen out there praise God another mark is bold preaching Bold preaching. This is, this is what renewal, this is how you maintain a move of the Holy Spirit. Passionate prayer and bold preaching. And they said, give us boldness. And verse 31 said, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And watch, 
And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They preached the true gospel message about Jesus, which has the power to change lives and inevitably even turn the world upside down or right side up, however you want to look at it. It can actually affect the city. The Bible says in the book of Acts that the city of Philippi, I believe that was it, Samaria. No, it was the, it was the city of Samaria. Philip was the pe- preacher at the time. The Bible says the whole city had the joy of the Lord. How many would like to see that around Butte? Come on, church. We've got to believe that God can do it again. We need to set our feet to the testimony of God, like Caitlin said, and know that God can do it again. He did it before. He did it before. He can do it again. We've got to believe this. Amen. And so they... They believed in the message and they began to preach that gospel message. The essence of their message was this. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I want you to see this because we've got to get this in our spirit. It says that there is, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that in the context is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world's crisis and need today. And so salvation isn't in multiple different ways and everybody's got to find their way. There's only one way to true salvation. And it's in the name of Jesus. And we've got to preach Christ and Him crucified and risen, ascended and seated in authority and all things will be brought to him. Amen. The Bible said that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord. And see, that's our message. Our message is Jesus. And so the gospel, with that we need to understand, and this is the hard, this is the hard part to swallow. The gospel is good news, which means that there inherently is a little bit of bad news in there, in this sense. Because you need a Savior, that means you must be a scoundrel, a sinner, a mess up. I'll wait on you. If you need to be saved from your sin, that means you're a sinner. That's what it means. So the good news is, because you already are a sinner, it isn't God coming to earth and saying you're all evil, bad people. The Lord is saying, because you are far from me, because you are lost, because you're without hope, I've given my only begotten Son to save you out of your desperation out of your lost condition. And see, that's our message. Our message has to be clear. It has to be concise. It has to, you, well, I want to contemporize it, but you can't, you can't accommodate it to the wishes and the plans and the ideas of the world. We have to preach Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because we are all dead in our trespasses and He died for our sins so I don't have to die for them. Bold. 
We've got to be bold in the declaration of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, are you with me out there? Say amen at home. Amen. Is there an amen emoji? There should be. Yeah, we have to type it. Type it out, amen. So what do we do? We know that Jesus is both inclusive, all, whosoever will, let him come to me. But he is also exclusive. And that whoever denies me, I will deny them. This is the full gospel message, and we cannot negate our responsibility to preach the word of God. Because people need Jesus. People need the Lord. So what we do, how do you do it? Well, we tell the truth with grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so we bring the truth of Jesus with the love of God. We're motivated. Paul said, I am compelled by the love of God to bring the truth to you and to tell you the truth and to preach Christ. God's love compels me to do this. And so out of love and with God's grace, we bring truth to the world in error. Amen. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I charge you therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And this isn't just for people who stand on the platform and preach and teach. This is all of us. We're all called to declare and proclaim the truth of God's word. So every one of us need to be instant, in season and out of season. Amen. Are you guys okay? Have I offended you already? I'm, not, I'm halfway through and I've already offended. Tell the truth with grace. Here's another thing we need to bring. with. Here's bold preaching. Call people to repentance. Call people to repentance. One of the great revivalists in the Old Testament, Joel, said these words. Joel 2, 13. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in kindness, and he relents from doing harm. God doesn't want outward appearance. He wants inward change that manifests outwardly. See, we live in a world today and we live in times where people are calling, listen, they're calling evil good and good evil. These are the days that we're living in. Of course, this has been going on for centuries, but we see a rise in a, in a different kind of way than we, most of us grew up with. And so we're living in times where they're taking evil and they're saying, oh no, this is good. And they're taking good and saying, no, that's evil. They want to change God's order. They want to change God's design. They want to take the word of God and say, no, you can't. You, no, you can't. You've got to set that over here because this is the way things are today. 
But I want to tell you something. The Word of God is, and I want to remind us all, God's Word, God's truth is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And the same creative Word that spoke into the darkness and the chaos and the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos, by that Spirit, things came into existence. Order came out of disorder. Light came into darkness. Life came into where there was no life. And church, we got to believe that, and we got to be bold with it. Amen. we got to be bold. This is, this is how you maintain a move of the Holy Spirit, because I think the wind of change is upon us. Amen. Amen. I messed with my thing, and it went haywire. Pray for me. Number three, here's another thing that we see in this passage. Intentional unity. This is necessary for a revival. And this is what revival brings, and this is how we maintain that move, is intentional unity. The Bible said they were all of one heart and soul and had everything in common. You know, the way, there, there are ways that you can get God's attention. How many of you know that God loves everybody? He loves everybody. Come on, do you know that? God so loved the world. God loves you. He's your Father. He's proud of you. He loves you. But the Bible also indicates that there are times when we really do get God's attention. God is attracted to us in a unique way. There are times that that happens. Like when we pray, God, the Bible said, He inclines His ear to our prayers. That's like he leans over and like, they're praying, they're crying out to me and he's paying attention to us. And we also know that God is attracted to people who operate out of faith. People who are willing to step out, on, out of the boat and walk on water, they, they, they get God's attention. But there's another thing that gets his attention. And that's when we dwell together in unity. And there's just something about this idea when we together as a church become like this early church where we become one heart. Everybody say one heart. One heart and soul and that we have everything in common. We were created for fellowship with God and with one another. And revival, true revival manifests in the love of God experienced and expressed through one another. If there is no love, I don't care how loud you pray in tongues. Paul said, it doesn't matter if I speak with tongues of men and of angels. If I don't have love, I am nothing. You know what, you know what I'm? I'm a big nobody. Amen. But a true move of the Holy Spirit will bring us to a place of true love and unity. And God wants to do that again. He wants to do it again. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, this is in the New Living Translation, it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Let peace bind you to another person. Amen. And he says you've got 
to make every effort. Why? Because it's hard to be that close to somebody. It's hard to trust people. It's hard to forgive people. Some people are just so offensive. Some people are just completely wacky. They're Pentecostal. I can't with them. I can't handle it. I don't know. But what what does Paul say? You've got to make every effort. Well, I'm waiting for them. No, you do it. See, when you get the Spirit of God on the inside of you, the Bible says that God has shed abroad His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. People say, I can't love them. I can't forgive them. I can't, I can't do this. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to slip in and slip out. Well, then you'll be slip sliding away. I'm going to slip in and slip out. I can't do it. I heard a preacher say this one time. He says, you know what you need to do if you've got a problem with, you know, and he was talking about something else, but I really love this thought process. He says, you need to accept your reality. What does that mean? My reality is I don't like them. No, but, but your greater reality, check this out. You have the Holy Spirit in you, right? That means the fruit of the Spirit is in you. Your reality is love is there. You just have to step into it. That's your reality. No, my reality is I can't love people. I, I don't trust them. They're, they're out of their mind. No, your, your true reality is you're no longer yourself. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's love is on the inside of you. Amen. So how do we endeavor? Oh, let me, let me read. I didn't finish this. I got so excited. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope of the future. So what do I do? How do I endeavor? How do I make every effort relate to each other in the love of God? I don't relate to you based on your performance. I relate to you based on your identity. Amen. And when there's conflict and there's bound to be conflict, can I get a good amen out there? You resolve those things. You resolve them and move on. That's how marriages survive. That's how you make it. That's how you overcome. That's that's how life goes on. You resolve those conflicts and move on. That's what he said. Binding yourselves with peace. Tie yourselves together. Don't give yourself an out. Tie yourself together with peace. Make peace. Be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Make peace happen. And then remember the goal that we are called to a glorious hope. So we need to, in the move of the Spirit, the revival that God wants to bring, we need to be passionate in prayer. And we need to be bold in our preaching. But we also need to be intentional about our unity. And things, we need, to, we need to drill down on this as a church and as a people. We need to go deeper. We're at a place right now where we're trying to figure it out. COVID screwed everything up. But maybe, maybe somehow in all of that, God is shaking things. 
And in the midst of the shaking, maybe we're going to come out of this with a greater understanding about how to move forward because one of the things that got hit hard was fellowship and unity and brotherly love. And the spirit of that hatred, I guess, or pulling away, it's still in the world around us. It's the spirit of just, you know, sides and different ways of thinking is all around us. But church, we're different. We're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of the earth. Oh, come on. Can I get a good amen out there? We're different. Turn to somebody and say, you really are different. Go ahead and tell them that. I got two more and I got no time. So let me get through these. Number four, another, another uh, characteristic of a move of God is gifted ministry. There should come a rise in everybody operating in the gifts that God has placed in them. And the place that we see this is in verse 33 of chapter 4 where it says, "In with great power, everybody say great power. And with great power, the apostles gave witness and great grace was upon them all. So what we see in this little verse of Scripture It says, not only did the apostles operate in great power, but the great power that had first of all rested upon the apostles obviously began to get into all of the body of Christ. And they all had great power, and all of them operated with great grace in their life. Every single one of them. This revival, this shaking, this stirring of the Holy Spirit brought people to their high calling. And where they begin to operate out of their own gifting and out of their own uh, just availability to the Lord. And I just want to remind everybody in this room that you are not only God's child, but God has imparted in you, and according to Romans chapter 12, we believe in what we call motivational gifts. God has put within you At the moment of your conception, he began to design you and create you and to shape you with gifts so that you could be a gift in the earth today. But sometimes those things lie dormant. And God wants to stir them up in us and bring us to an awareness. Some of us beat ourselves up so badly and don't believe in ourselves and been told a different message all of our life that when we come to the faith, we may be truly born again and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't have any sense that we have any worth or value to anybody around us. And I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit came on you for a purpose, to awaken you to God's destiny and call for your life. And there are not only motivational gifts, but the Bible says that Jesus gave ministry gifts And so all of us have some sort of bent in our life toward a ministry, whether it's apostolic or prophetic or evangelistic or pastoral, whatever the case may be, all of us have that resonating in our being, in our soul, and God wants to stir us up to that, amen? And then the Bible also teaches about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit will do supernatural, this is where we get Pentecostal crazy, Amen. He will move upon us and say things and do things and empower us in the spontaneous moment to operate in a life-changing and transforming way for somebody. And Paul said, I want you earnestly to desire all the gifts. 
Come on. But you know what Jesus wants? He wants us to desire the gifts, but he wants us to know, and he wants us to be the gift. He wants us to be the gift because the gift isn't for you to look. See, look at here. Have you seen anything like this before? Wear it like a badge. Oh, this is my gifting. It isn't a gift if you keep it for yourselves. It's a gift when you give it away. Amen. So every one of us need to discover our gifts. We need to develop our gifts so that we can deploy our gifts. I want you to look with me at um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Can you read this out loud with me? Another one? As each one has received a gift, stop right there, you have received it. Are you using it? Are you walking in it? Because it right there says, how many believe the Bible is true? Okay, 85% of us. Okay, well, let's go back to point number two. No, I'm joking. It says here, each one has received a gift. Now, that's true about you. As each one, now, okay, let's start reading again. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So you have a gift, and the word minister is just another way of saying serve it to one another, offer it to one another, give it for the benefit of another, not for your own benefit. It's for everybody else. It's not for you. Amen. And he says, when you do this, you will be a good steward. Remember what Jesus said? Well done, good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you and you didn't bury it. You didn't sit on it. You didn't complain about what you didn't have. But what you did have, you put it to work. And now, he says, I'm going to entrust you with more. Amen. And the manifold grace just means God's got all kinds of ways he blesses people. So don't get caught in the trap of, i got to be like them, and I want to do it like that. And sometimes we can even read our books, and we're like, well, the book says this. No, listen, what did the Lord say? It's manifold. It's a manifold grace. Walk in it. This is what true spiritual revival looks like. People stepping up into their gifted ministry. And then the final one, thank God, we're almost there, is generous giving. This is the funnest one. A mark of true revival and how we maintain the momentum of what God is doing is that every one of us step up to a spirit of generosity in giving. Listen, when the Holy Spirit fills your life, he takes over your pocketbook. Come on, where's my... When you get taken over by the Lord, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, something moves in you, and he takes, he has lordship over all your resources. Amen. The Bible said in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, I want to read it again. It says that there was not 
a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. They were not only filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were full of the love and the compassion of God. And especially if there was any need represented, any need made known, they just responded to that need and they gave. There's another thing that gets God's attention, and that is being a generous person. Being a generous person, is a tr- God is attracted to you. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 19.17, New Living Translation. It says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Look at that word. Let, let that soak into your heart today. If you help poor people, or if you help people with need, let's say it that way, you're directly lending to God. And he says, I got you. I'll cover you. Oh, if I give, then I won't have. No, you don't understand the way that the kingdom of God works. When you give, you have someone who holds all the accounts, who has all the resources. Amen. Now, we use the word lend. He says, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord. And the word lend in our English language means that we will grant somebody the use of with the understanding that they're going to pay us back. But if you follow that analogy through, then what the Lord is saying, or what Solomon is saying, is if you give to the poor, it's like the Lord is saying, I will pay you back for what you give them. But the Hebrew word doesn't mean that. The Hebrew word for lend literally means to join to. So in other words, what Solomon was saying is, when you give to someone in need, or you give to a need, it's like you're joining yourself to the Lord himself. You're joining yourself to his heart. And the Lord says, I will take care of you, and I will bless you, and I will repay. I like that. I like the word repay. How many of you like to get a paycheck from God? (laughs) I will repay. And so we need to be, and this is what generosity looks like. It looks like revival. And revival looks like generosity. So how do we grow in our generosity? Who's going to play the keyboard? Is that you, Katie? Come on up. How do we grow in our generosity? Let me give you four. These aren't going to come up on the screen. Let me give you four quick big ideas. First, be faithful with your tithe or with the Lord's tithe. If you want to be a generous person, ground zero for everybody is start with the tithe. That's the most basic thing you can begin to do, is to give what belongs to the Lord to the Lord. Can I get a good amen out there? (laughs) Be faithful with the tithe. Be grateful with what you have. 
Instead of focusing on what I don't have, be grateful for what you do have. See, generosity, if I'm constantly complaining about what I don't have, I'm never going to step into the freedom of generosity. If I don't lay the groundwork and the foundation of giving to the Lord what belongs to Him first, I'm never going to step into a heart of generosity. But I start with being faithful with the tithe, then I establish a gratefulness in my heart. Be grateful for what I do have. Number three, be watchful with how you spend. Amen. How many of you hate the checkout lines at Walmart? It's where we fill up the void in our, you know. Some of us have a hard time. This is why we should rebuke QVC or Amazon nowadays. Used to be the mall. Be watchful how you spend. Because sometimes we spend our place, spend our way into a place where I don't have it to give. You have it, but you now don't have it. Because we're not watchful. Be faithful with the tithe. Be grateful for what you have. Be watchful over how you spend. And then be charitable. Be charitable with the need. Or to the need. This church gave. And I think I'm right about this. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But a few about a month ago, we took up an offering for Ukraine. If you remember that. About a month ago. And uh, I believe on that day, we took up an offering of $3,700 for the work in Ukraine. Was it that? I think it was. I'm pretty sure. $4,200. I'll take that number. And that doesn't even count the commitment that some of us made, or some of you made, to doing it over a course of a year. That was just in the offering alone. I want to commend you for your generosity and seeing the need. But I just want to say that Money is not a non-spiritual entity. It's a part of the revival. What God is doing, he wants to do. And we need to maintain the momentum of that in passionate prayer, in bold preaching, in gifted ministry, in intentional unity, and also a generous giving. Let's all stand together. Can I have the prayer team come on up and want to pray for anyone here today that needs prayer, that needs a touch of God. Would you come please and be ready to pray? If you have any needs in your life today, Jesus is here to meet those needs and he loves to answer our prayers and so we want to pray with you. Can you just bow your heads with me just all over just just for a moment? I know it's kind of past time, but let me just let me just take just one more moment and just say I want to just speak to anyone in the room here today that maybe you're not, you feel far from God or you have yet to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I just want to, I just want to just pause for a moment and just say to you, Jesus loves you. He came into this world. He died on a cross for you to bring you to himself and to reconcile you into relationship with the heavenly father and on father's day there's no greater there's no greater experience than to come into relationship with heavenly father 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can just pray a simple prayer that just says something like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I want you to save me. Come into my heart. Change my life. Make me brand new. I want to give my life to you. I want, to, I want to walk with you. I want to know you for the rest of my life. And if you prayed or thought those words, I want to encourage you to come up and receive prayer and tell somebody if you've given your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you to come up and let them know or let me know because it's good to put confession to your belief to say, I believed. I'm trusting in Jesus. Hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today. I thank you for your presence upon every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would do it again at Abundant Life Fellowship. God, I pray that there would be a true wind of change that would shake this place up. God, you said in your word that it's time for the shaking to begin at the house of God. Lord, let it begin right here. Holy Spirit, come and move with such power and such force that something changes about every one of us. Even as we move into perhaps more difficult days ahead, I pray that we will move also with a dynamic God that is beyond ourselves, that is only found in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. God, we want to be overcomers. We want to thrive. We're not here to just survive. God, we want to be victorious in these days in which we live. God, we love you and thank you for your presence. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. If you-